Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by our special guest speaker. So I have something that is heavy on my heart uh, this morning. It's been, I guess you could say, cultivating in my heart for the last couple weeks, but it's been really heavy on my life. And I believe prophetically what God is going to do on this Sunday morning, November 10th, is I believe there's going to be a sense of awareness and understanding that will penetrate your heart. I believe that a lot of us have misidentified the season that we're walking in now. I believe what some of us have called depression and loneliness and feeling like we're outcast from the people of God is not depression, it's not loneliness, but it's God's school of brokenness that he calls each and every one of us into that are called to be conformed to the image of his son. But before we dive into this heavy word this morning, hopefully I can make you laugh. I like to make people laugh before I give a very hard, heart-cutting word. So Amanda, if you can put that on the screen. These are my toenails. These are my toenails. And I hope you can understand I'm a male, okay? And those uh, toes that are up on the screen were painted by a four-year-old daughter a couple weeks ago. And tragically, remember I said last week that Disney is a bunch of evil geniuses? It's still on there. Like, it's been concreted on there. And what's tragic is, like, I'm not ashamed of that, but I'll tell you what, how many, how many fathers in the house understand that your little daughters will grow you up into maturity as a man? right? Because listen to this. I work out. I try to work out every day at National Fitness, and I forgot that when I was getting ready for work, and there's a lot of bigger men around me, bodybuilders, that they're walking by, and my toenails are like that. You know, they're probably thinking, Pastor MJ, what's going on with you? So if you're not from California or Asheville this morning, you can still be cool if you allow your daughters to paint your nails. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's go into the Word of God this morning. Are you guys ready to hear a word? Alrighty, so this season or this school of brokenness is what God calls everyone that wants to be effective in ministry and not just ministry, but in life. Did you know that if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are called into full-time ministry? Did you know that? Ministry is not just for the people that stand on this stage. Ministry is not just for the people that stand behind the pulpits. Actually, this is about 1% of what ministry is. Ministry is how you love your family. Ministry is how you conduct yourself when you're outside of the building. And there's a school that God calls us into it's a school of brokenness, and it's a school of pain. And a pastor by the name of Alan Redpath, he was a British pastor that pastored in the early 20th century. And he said this, he says, when God wants to do an impossible task, he chooses an impossible person and crushes him. I want to say that again because I want these words to resonate in your heart. Because if you ever want to do anything for God, if you ever want your life 
to be poured out on the altar of ministry and purpose. You have to understand the steps and the seasons that God will call you to walk in. It is not a fairy tale and it is not a fantasy. Tell me how I know. This has been my life for the last 12 years. It's been great. Preaching and teaching is great. I love preaching the gospel. But it's about what happens when you're in the secret place with God and God begins to come to you by way of the Holy Spirit. But what happens is when you are in the presence of God is when true ministers are made. That is where true ministers are made. That is where true disciples are made. Because it is the hardest thing in the world to sit in the presence of God and listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. It is the hardest thing sometimes to not hide behind your disciplines. It's the hardest thing to not hide behind reading your Bible and checking off that little checklist that you have. Sometimes it's hard not to pray in the Spirit. Why? It's because you, when you are working the disciplines, you are doing something in the presence of God. And sometimes God, Dr. Blue said it, sometimes you got to be still and know that he is God because that is when he is working on the inside of you. And he's showing things about your life that you don't know, but he already knows. And this is where ministers are made. This is where disciples are made. It's in the secret place. Isaiah chapter 9 says this. It says, unto us a child is born, but unto us a son is given. Everyone say given. There's a pattern here. There is a secret process that the prophet is giving us in the Old Testament before the Messiah ever came and walked the earth. And then there's a secret that Jesus embodied every time he touched bread. In Matthew 26, 26, right before he was about to go to the cross, the Bible said he took the bread. It says he blessed the bread. And then it says he broke the bread. And then he gave the bread. And he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And I get that that is communion. I get that is a sacrament that we do every month. But there's a greater picture involved here. There's a greater picture of process for you and for me. We love being taken out of the world. We love when God by his spirit causes us to be born again. We love going through the waters of baptism and hearing the voice of the Father say, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We love the blessing phase. Blessing in Greek means happy. We love when God makes us happy. We love the goosebumps in worship. We love the prophecies. We love when we're called by God. But nobody ever told me about the broken process. Nobody ever told me that God, if he ever wants to give you to the world around you, that he would have to break you first. He would have to crush you first. I know this isn't easy to hear, but every time Jesus touched bread, he did the same thing. And you say, well, where was Jesus' process? He was taken from heaven and he was put in the womb of Mary, and he grew up among us as a shoot, as a tender shoot out of dry ground. 
And then at age 30, through John the Baptist, he was baptized. And he felt and he heard the blessing and the voice of affirmation from the Father that blessed him. And then he was crushed in the wilderness. And then he was crushed in Gethsemane. And then he was crushed on the cross. Why? So he could give you his spirit. So he could give you his Holy Spirit. I preach what we call penal substitutionary atonement. I preach it that Jesus absorbed the wrath of God for me and you. That Jesus was the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. He was that price. He was that payment before the Father. I preach that. But he didn't just go to the cross for you. He showed you how to do it. He showed you how to die. He showed you how to be reviled and not revile in return. He showed you when people are talking about you to utter no threats, but to entrust yourself to the God who judges righteously. So Jesus went through this process. You're going to go through this process. Some of you guys have just been taken from the world and born again. Some of you guys are feeling the blessing stage of the Father. You can't be broken before you're blessed because you'll run. You have to know who you are as a son or a daughter. And then when you know who you are and your identity is sure and steadfast, then God says, my spirit is going to lead you into the wilderness. That means lonely place in the original language. Because you have to understand and know who I am in your process. Because the tragic reality is this. There's been a lot of people that thought their school of brokenness was over, and they turn into a saw. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at the life of David. We're going to go to a few scriptures, and we're going to look at his process. And I think some of you guys will find yourself in the middle of these same seasons that the Old Testament writers are talking about. So if you're up, you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6. And then we're also going to put that on the screen, 1 Samuel Chapter 16, verse 6. It says, so it was. This is when David was about to be anointed as king. Samuel the prophet had just disqualified the first king of Israel. They were coming out of the dispensation of what we call the judges. This is what we call a transition period in the nation, in the monarchy of Israel. They're coming out of judges into a king, and Saul was the chosen choice of the people, but Saul was disqualified. You want to know why Saul was disqualified? There's a hidden revelation. The Bible says that Saul was anointed with a flask. That means short reign because he had no process. But it says David was anointed with a horn. Long reign. Why? Because he had decades of process. So this is David probably around anywhere from 14 to 16. In verse 6 it says, So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance 
or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Everyone say heart. Say it again, say heart. God is looking at your heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him here, for we will not sit down till he comes. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Verse 14, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the heart, and it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. Do you see the scenario that God is setting up? What you have to understand, and, and this is my belief, Hopefully, I'm going to try to prove it to you, but I believe that David was illegitimate. There was a reason why he was on the backside of the fields, not, not invited to the anointing party. Some translations said David had red hair. He was ruddy, which meant the Bible describes that for a reason. Maybe he didn't look like his brother. Psalm 69, verse 8, if you want to put that up there. The actual picture of the Strongs, if you can put that slide up there. Look what it says. Psalm 69 says, David says, I have become an alien unto my mother's sons. That Hebrew word is nokri, and it can mean non-relative or adulterous. So I personally believe that scripture paints a picture that David wasn't invited, and maybe that's why his father Jesse put him on the backside of the wilderness where the lions and the bears were to take care of his secret sin of adultery. There's a reason why David was so passionate before God. There's a reason why he was so skilled with the heart, why he was so much of a worshiper. There's a reason why he wrote in Psalms 27, if, if my mother and my father forsake me, the Lord will take me up. There's a reason why he wrote in Psalm 51, he says, I was conceived in iniquity. And see, what theologians have done, they've, they've, they've cast that as a blanket, and we've called that the doctrine of original sin. Yes, I believe that we are all corrupt and faulted through Adam's sin, but David is not talking about you in Psalm 51. He's talking about himself. So I believe we have this illegitimate son that's chosen by God. And I love the poetry of this narrative because you don't want to be number one in this economy. You want to be number eight. David was number eight. He was number eight in man's eyes. And see, that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, consider your calling, 
brethren, that God has not called many wise according to the flesh, not many noble he has called, but God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the wise. God chooses broken men like you and me and takes us so he can break us again. And I can see David here, he's smelling the oil. He's feeling the blessing of God. He's feeling the moment of excitement, of euphoria. I'm gonna be king. I'm gonna be king. There's no way I'm gonna be king. I'm gonna be king. And God's probably saying, you are gonna be king. But you're gonna have to be broken. Because when God wants to do an impossible task, he chooses an impossible man and he crushes him. I know this isn't easy to hear, but this is the gospel. This is the real gospel. This is where the world is waiting to smell the aroma of your brokenness so their spiritual senses say, there is something different about that man. There is something different about that woman. When she comes around, I can't even put my finger on it, but my spiritual senses come alive. Why? Because that woman has been broken. That man has been broken before the Lord. I can recognize a broken person when I see them because they have not run from the process. They've embraced the process. God is looking for men and women in this room that say yes to the process. Not this weak, anemic Jesus that we worship on the walls, but the warrior in Revelation chapter 19 that comes back on a horse with fiery eyes. This is the gospel. David is smelling the oil. He understands that he is called by God, but he didn't know he was going to be broken. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. Point one, God will use the people around you and the iniquity within you to complete the school of brokenness. Listen, you are misidentifying your boss. Your boss is strategically put in your life to serve a purpose. People in your life that you can't stand, that are throwing spears at you. There's a reason why they're throwing spears at you. If people are throwing spears at you, it's a sign that you are legitimate. It's a sign that you have favor on your life. It's a sign that the Spirit of God is upon your life and perhaps it has departed from theirs. So let's read what's going on. Are you with me? 1 Samuel chapter 18. We know what happens in chapter 17. This is the sign, chapter 17, that David's been anointed. He slays Goliath. I think we've all heard that story 137 times in children's ministry. But verse 6, this is after he brings in the head of Goliath and he throws it on the feet of King Saul. In, chapter, in verse 6 of chapter 18, it says, Now it happened as they were coming home 
when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women had come out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands. David is tens of thousands. I love this. David had slain one person. That's why you can't believe the media, right? One person. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him, and he said, they have ascribed to David tens of thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward, and it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit, notice who it's from. It's from God. The distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the house. It's crazy. What is he saying? So David played music with the hand as at the other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand, and Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall, but David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but he had departed Saul. Your Saul in your life has actually been divinely placed there to kill the Saul in your own life. We don't like to hear this. We want everything to be comfortable and easy. There's a reason why God brings you out of comfort because he's called the comforter. There's a reason why people throw spears at you. You want to know why? Ask me why. Say why. So you learn not to throw them back. Because maybe the spears are divinely inspired by God not to hit you, not because God is trying to teach you to dodge them, but because he's saying, boy, you're about to inherit the throne one day, and I got to teach you how not to throw the insults and the revilings back. You're going to learn how to dodge them. You're going to learn how to keep your mouth shut. And this is what I've learned in ministry. You learn honor by walking through dishonor honorably. How do you think you learn? You're not. My, I love my daughters, but my daughters don't know a flip about honor. What? They've got to learn it. Honor is the Greek word to male, and it means to speak well of. It's a valuation system. So you go through these moments of being crushed by people around you. So you learn honor because God has destined you for greatness and to inhabit the position. And you're like, Pastor, this warfare is crazy. I can't handle it. It's because you're called. It's because God is trying to squeeze oil out of your life. So wherever you go, you're dripping the presence of God. You have to have a Saul in your life because God is trying to cut it out of your life. God is using a cross by the name of Saul to crucify the Saul in your life. Is it painful? Absolutely. But does it push you into the secret place? Absolutely. 
But what we do is we get our feelings hurt and we move from job to job and from ministry to ministry and from church to church. But the Bible is very clear that blessed are those that are rooted in the house of the Lord. Rooted in the house of the Lord. This is tough, but God uses souls in our life to crucify the saw in our own life. And this is the thing. If you don't endure the process, this is what happens. You ready? Because you should never want to be a tool for the brokenness of others because you were unwilling to finish the school. You don't want to be a tool in the brokenness of others, divinely put there by God as a Saul, because God is appointing a David underneath you. So whoever doesn't finish the process is destined to become a king after the order of Saul. But whoever says yes to the process, God's school of brokenness is destined to inherit the throne because then you can truly lead people effectively as a shepherd who knows his sheep and the sheep love the shepherd because a stranger they will not follow. First Samuel chapter 26, verse 12. I'm trying to speed up because I really want to land at a certain point. What's interesting is outside of the caves of Engedi, that God actually puts David in proximity to Saul. And then listen to this. This is what's crazy. It says that God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Saul and his men. And David covertly goes in there and guess what is right by Saul's head. This is interesting. I saw this for the first time. The same spear that David was dodging for years. So God put a deep sleep over Saul and his men, put David in proximity, and all of David's men said, oh my gosh, God is giving you the kingdom today. But David grabs the spear and takes it because he understood that maybe in God's sovereignty, God was placing David in a position such as this, a situation such as this, to announce because of David's innocence and his refusal to take revenge in his own hands, he says, I have finally found my leader. I have finally found my leader because I've given his enemy into his hands, but he refused to take out the Saul over him. So God will use the people around you, and then God will use the iniquity within you. Let's talk about this for a little bit. Everyone say iniquity. So let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. This is decades after he's anointed. And see, I have heard this, I believe, mispreached for years. But it's only logical that chapter 11 comes after chapter 7. Amen? Chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, right? Chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, you don't have to go there, says that God had given David rest from all of his enemies. And God actually tells David three times, 
It's the chapter where David says, I want to build you a house, God. And God said, I'm going to build you a house. And he says three times, I've given you rest from all of your enemies. But see, something has happening in 2 Samuel chapter 11. David is in his palace. And let's look what it says. Verse 1. And it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle. That David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Amnon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him. And he lay with her, for she was cleansed from impurity. And then she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David and said, I am with child. See, this is fascinating to me. Because God had been so gracious. I didn't tell you this, but King Saul was actually defeated by the Philistines and by the Amalekites in chapter 30. David is, David is anointed three times, first in front of his family, second at Hebron, and third for Israel, anointed three times. So this is decades after he was anointed. God dealt with the Saul that was over him. He was promoted into that same place. And then he's sitting here in his palace, and I know preachers say he was at the wrong place at the wrong time. I don't think so. I know it says when the kings go out to battle, but the problem was God said, I've given you rest from all of your enemies in chapter 7, and he said it three times. David's problem was he was restless. He didn't know how to rest in the presence of God. And see, we said that we, we say that he should have been with his men on the battlefield, but his men shouldn't even been to battle. That's why the Bible says that David could not build the temple of the Lord. Why? Because he had too much bloodshed on his hands. He, didn't know how, he did not know how to put down the sword. Why, why are you saying this to me? Because some of you guys are so restless, even in ministry, that your addictions change from one thing to the next, that God wants you to be seated in the palace as a son so he can come to you and deal with the iniquity within but because David was restless and did not know how to sit in the presence of God with nothing because it's the most painful thing in the world. Sitting in the presence of God is the most painful thing in the world. Why? It's because he touches the thing in your life that needs to change. He comes up and he touches it. Dr. Blue was right on cue this morning. He talked about the rich ruler. He says, hey, I've done this, this, and this. You know what Jesus did with x-ray vision of the spirit? He touched the area in his soul that he wanted to redeem, which was his greed issue. And see, this is the thing. David did not know how to be seated. So this is God's plan of actually Making David a better leader is actually through ripping out the iniquity. But this is, this is the tragedy. You don't, have to, you don't have to wait for your sin to expose you. 
If you're seated, God will deal with the iniquity. What is iniquity? You keep talking about iniquity. Iniquity is the root. Iniquity is the Hebrew word avon. It's where we get evil. It has to do with an inner perversity or a fault. You say, God, get rid of this thing I'm doing. And God says, I can't because you won't allow me into the deepest part of your soul to cleanse you from the iniquity that's driving you to keep doing that. And see, this is, this is fascinating. This is interesting to me because I believe the same thing that happened to David when he was conceived is the same thing that he ran to when he was in pain. See, the iniquity of your mothers and fathers, if it is not dealt with, will reproduce generationally. One generation's compromise is the next generation's captivity. And see, Psalm 51, if you put that on the screen, verse 2, this is right after he slept with Bathsheba. And the prophet Nathan comes to him in chapter 12 and says, you are the man. Sometimes you don't want to be the man, you feel me? <laughs> the prophet says, you are the man. Can we put that up there? Psalm 51. Yellow light. Hallelujah. No, verse, verse 2. Psalm 51, verse 2. This is David's psalm. Right after he was confronted with his sin with Bathsheba. And listen, beloved, most scholars believe that this could have possibly even been rape. Because the language is he took her. And you can't really say no to the king. So this is right after he was confronted about a year later. And if you keep reading chapter 11, David concocts this whole plan to cover up this sin. And ultimately he can't cover up because Uriah is too much of an honorable man. And he actually kills Uriah on the battlefield. And then the prophet comes to confront him. And then after he repents, he writes this psalm. Psalm 51, verse 2. Stay with me. I just got a few more minutes. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Notice what he says in verse 2. Before he can be cleansed from his sin, he has to be washed from his iniquity. Again. Before he can be cleansed from his sin, he has to be washed from his iniquity. And I have done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Verse 5, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Do you see this? That the bones that God has broken. Listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. God does not want to cause physical pain on your life, but God wants to break open your inward parts that are littered with the cancer of iniquity. Come on. Come on. 
The brokenness is not just to free you from the sorrows. The brokenness is to free you from yourself. David was brought forth in iniquity. He never dealt with that. That's why he was always fighting. That's why he was always running to bloodshed. He couldn't sit still with God long enough for God to say, we have to deal with this iniquity or it's going to come out at the worst time. And when it comes out, I'm telling you, it's going to destroy your children. You read about the next chapter. David's son rapes his daughter. Absalom tries to take the kingdom from him. Why? Because David didn't know how to be still when he was being broken. Listen, you can be addicted to ministry. It's an addiction. You can be so addicted to your job and what you're doing. It's because why? Because the most painful thing in the world is to sit face to face with God and to find out what's in you that he already knows. David's issue was rejection by a father, rejection by a mother. And isn't it interesting that the root of rejection will always push you into the arms of the wrong lovers? Isn't it interesting that David's life is a life of conquest and a life of victory, but also a life of failure. But I love the mercy and the grace of Jesus is your failures does not qualify you from being used ever again. Come on. And see, a lot of us take these texts in 2 Samuel chapter 11. What is written in the word is not an excuse for your personal sin. Because David did it. No, David's not giving you a pass. He's showing you the failure and the consequences of what his iniquity cost him. But let's keep reading Psalm 51, and then I'm going to close. That the bones you have rejoiced, that you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. Verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. I love this. You know what Saul said to Samuel? Walk with me before the people so I look right. You know what David said? God, I don't care about the people around me. Don't take your spirit from me. This is a broken man. This is a man that is broken because it is self-inflicted right here. But God says, you know what? I'm going to restore to you the joy of your salvation, and I'm going to uphold you with my spirit. And then verse 13 and 14, look at this. David says, then will I teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. What is that? He's given. He's being given to the world around him. 
but he couldn't be given. He couldn't teach transgressors the ways of the Lord unless God said, look, I'm going to use you as being a leader and a king, but before you testify of true freedom, I'm going to have to break you to deal with the iniquity within you that pushed you into the arms of the wrong lover. So then in freedom, you can teach transgressors my ways. Then sinners can be converted to me. Listen, if you want to be given by God, you have to be in a posture of being seated in the presence of Jesus and allow him to search and try the reins of your heart. That word means renals. It means kidneys. It means the inner workings of your soul because God wants to cleanse you and wash you so nothing will ever disqualify you from being used by his hand ever again. Come on, church. This is glorious news that God is a forgiving and he's a merciful God. And you go through the brokenness process, not just to be used by him, but so people can see the glory of God that's worked in your life and is available to their life. Come on. Hey, pastor, can you come on up? If everyone can stand up. Hallelujah. I sometimes, I argue with God about things that he tells me to say. But I really believe that where we are going as a body, where this glorious local church by the name of New Hope is going is a high place, is a heavenly place, is a higher place in worship, is a higher place of personal devotion. And he wants you to be so connected to his body that you go through this process. God uses the people around you. He uses the iniquity within you to break you. So he can give you. God does not just want you to stay broken on the altar of sacrifice. He wants you to be on the potter's wheel and to be reshaped into a more glorious image of Jesus so he can display you before a broken world and he can say this is what freedom looks like. We read Psalms like this, 51, and I think one more key point we have to understand, and then we're going to pray. True freedom, true brokenness only comes by way of vulnerability. Brokenness is literally what's on the inside becomes revealed to plain eyes. And what I've learned about the kindness and mercy of God, if you deal with your sin in the private place just with him, it doesn't make its way to the public place. 
But if you refuse to sit because you want to recoil at his goodness because he's touching that thing, then God in his mercy and his kindness will reveal your junk to the people that love you. He's writing Psalm 51. And do you think David knew that his words of his personal moral failing would be read by billions of people? You talk about vulnerability, right? You write something so raw about your failure that the next two millennia, three millennia, are reading about your junk. But what's glorious is right there in the raw depravity of his sin, you find the mercy and the kindness of God that's seen when David is actually real. He's real. He's saying, this was my issue. But God delivered me and set me free, and I'm telling you, so he'll do it for you too. So if the prayer workers and the pastors and the elders can come forward, I know it's getting late, but I think freedom is more important than a little time scale. My wife gave me permission to be raw this morning. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know what stage you're in, but if you are struggling and you're like, you identified my life, that's where I'm at, and you want someone to join with you in prayer, I just want you to come forward. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. If you're struggling with things in you that need to die, I know, we, we, we don't want to be the first one up here because people are going to wonder what that thing is. Come on. Come on. If you need prayer this morning, whatever it is, then come up. If you're good, then you're good. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.